Thank you for coming together, church uh, family, uh, this morning, whether in person across all of our parishes or uh, online. Um, it is so important that uh, we gather together as sisters and brothers uh, in this time together. We are real flesh and blood people. We're sisters, we're brothers, we're family. And it's important that in times of deep grief and lament that the family uh, find ways to connect and be together. And so we're thankful for your willingness to uh, come together uh, this morning and to continue the journey that we are on on this time. We've heard again this morning from our church leaders that we are experiencing the impact of a terrible wrong and sin. And our posture is one of repentance. And we experience deep sorrow as a result of, of that. We are experiencing a range of emotions, aren't we? This morning, we're, we're pastors here. We're brothers and sisters together. We're not experts. We're pastors. We're fellow travelers with you in the church family. And all of us are experiencing a range of emotions and thoughts and reflections, and that is important, that is good. And we want to journey together. We want to hold this together. We need to. The pain is that deep. The sense of loss is that profound, that no one of us can carry this together. And in the church of Jesus, that's our calling. We rejoice together, and we weep together. And we offer grace to each other as we journey forward together. I recognize that this sense of lament the sense of loss is multifaceted. And we could fill in the blanks of the loss that we're feeling and experiencing. But it's, it is that. And we need to journey through this season of lament for a while. Sometimes we want to rush through it. And in this season of Lent, as we look to Easter, we're reminded that it's okay and it's important to journey through the lament. We do believe that Jesus is with us. He's in the center of our church family. The wounded healer, the good shepherd, who continues to shepherd us, to be with us. And so he brings us, we know, as we look to Easter, he brings us to a place of hope and healing. But he journeys with us in our pain. As I said, we're pastors together, and I'm so thankful for my pastoral colleagues for their willingness to steward this moment with me as we share just personal reflections from a pastoral perspective. And then we'll look at scripture, John 11, together for a few minutes as well. But we're just going to share 
for a few minutes before we look to John 11. Yeah, our heart and intent today together as the church body is to just be, uh, be present and be ourselves. This isn't the time for polished notes or pre-planned thought, although we have given some thought to this space, but to simply be together. And so my, my space, my process, is, which is what we wanna share with you for just the next few minutes, uh, has been a journey like I'm sure many of yours has as you've come, become aware of this news. Uh, the range of emotion uh, that has been felt. And even in sitting in prayer in preparation for today, the one thing I heard Jesus say was, Carmen, just pastor your people. And so the best that I can offer you today is to say, uh, take inventory of where you find yourself. I can only know my journey so far, and it has involved such a spectrum of emotion, but also such a spectrum of tension. Tension with feeling like I'm supposed to feel a certain way and I don't. Or if I feel this way, does it mean I betray this over here? Or being flooded with texts and social media posts and emails from our church and not quite knowing how to hold it all. And so while that's been my process, I can only imagine for many of us that has been our experience this week. And so as your pastor, I wanna say two things to you. First, full permission for whatever you feel it is okay to feel that. Feelings, uh, we, can't, we can't control what feeling comes. And the second thing I'll say is we can do something with that. Emotion, feeling, thought, lack of being able to process, over-processing, and that is to picture yourself bringing it to Jesus. It's the safest space it can go, and it's the one who we can trust with whatever it is we're holding. And so picture that. Pay attention to what it is you're uh, experiencing, engaging with, feeling, and then imagine yourself, however that looks for you, bringing it to Jesus and knowing that you can completely trust him to carry it with and for you. Um, people will ask the question often, how are you? And then uh, the first answer is a lie. You say, fine. And then um, the next answer is the one that really, um, I think, is the one that's true. And for me, the answer has been thin. Um, and not in the sense of like tiredness or weariness, but in the sense of like all of the, the emotions are right close to the edge. Uh, everything's close to being spilt over. Um, we got a word in December that said everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And a lot of things are being shaken right now. And it's um, a privilege to be able to be with family as we kind of start working through all of the feelings and the stuff that has to come from it. But there's a weird dynamic in that it's like the most traumatic and painful family conversation that you have to have. And you're doing it in the middle of a family restaurant that's crowded and everybody has their phone out and recording and scrutinizing what you may be saying or feeling. And it just adds to a lot of the pressure. But um, in the midst of that, we persevere as a church family. Um, my initial reaction from getting the news in December was uh, disbelief because um, my perception of someone 
uh, what was being talked about didn't coincide with what I believed to be true about, uh, about Ruxi. And um, I allowed myself to just kind of think and to pray and to reflect and wanted to know kind of why it was so difficult for me to come to grips with this. And um, so far I have a few answers. Maybe more will come, maybe some will be taken off, but I think for the first one is I have very little personal experience with people who have suffered from sexual misconduct. My lived experience isn't in that world, so it was hard for me to understand. Um, another one is that I'm a man, and that influences my bias considerably. Um, the other one is a little hard to admit, but I think I unknowingly created an idol of somebody. Because not only at the time did I think that they couldn't, that, that they didn't do anything wrong, but that they were incapable of doing something wrong. And to sit with that, um, to really sit with that and wrestle with that um, has been difficult. So on top of everything else, I sit with my biases. I sit with my lived experiences. And I believe that somehow that wherever we're at, there's an opportunity in our diversity of thought to be able to be a blessing. I believe that our diversity can actually help us. Our, our difference of shared, of, of lived experiences can actually help us. As a pastoral team, we are not all on the same page. Uh, if it talks about Bruxy's confession or the decisions of the board or uh, the steps that Danielle has taken, our pastoral staff doesn't all see it the same way. The four of us on the stage, if you ask us, we have different opinions on how things should have gone but we're unified in loving our church and caring for our people in grieving in journeying for that we're on the same page because unity doesn't mean uniformity and i think that we live in a in a culture that's been uh, grooming us to be in a way that every issue you need to take aside But what if this part of our story is actually a burden that we all have to share? One of the overseers said recently that this whole situation has been held by only a few, and now it gets to be held by many. And if we can start seeing this as a collective, a collective burden, with the giftedness that's in our church, within our community. I think we can do much more than just persevere because I, I think that the, the coming together with this will actually ensure that no one gets left behind, that no one gets silenced, that no one has to journey alone, and that we can all hold each other accountable.
But in the meantime, I think we just, we grieve and we cry and we mourn and maybe even we break some stuff. Um, but we don't, we can't, we can't break each other. Yeah, brothers and sisters, I'm, sorry, man. I'm equal parts uh, rattled and motivated. I'm rattled with uh, all of the stories and experiences that we've had on the stage collectively as a church. I'm rattled with the truth of brokenness that permeates not just our church, but our culture. I'm rattled uh, at the work that uh, we need to do to stay together and not just for namesake, but to stay together as a, unifying picture of Jesus that is an unstoppable force for good in the world. And when we do that wrong, it sucks. Um, but I'm motivated that this is a chance for the, our, the church's yes to just be yes. I think oftentimes we can say yes, but still there's good, still there's yes, but, yes, but. And I just love the, the section of scripture that we're going to be coming into in just a few minutes. Um, that Jesus invites us just into the yes of, of pain. And so I think for us, for me this morning, when I'm motivated to, to align with a side or, or uh, you know, a particular point of view or um, anything that puts me or us in a position of power, I feel the spirit of God pushing against that and just hearing the yes I'm with you, stay here. The best version of us right now, of me right now, is the most vulnerable, raw, painful, and repentant. Um, so while it can be easy to, to point fingers at who did what, and that's real, I think the best version of me and, and us is leaning into the yes, the real emotions of, of what we've gone through. And so last week we went through this exercise right here of laments, like how easy it is for us to, you know, go to the why, like wh why, wh why did this happen? And all of these emotions that we go through, but even more important is the how, like how did we get here? Um, like I said, we'll talk in just a minute in John 11, um, one of the sisters says like, how could this happen? Jesus, like how did our brother die? If only you had been here. And Jesus enters into the pain of his people. And so I think that's a good place for us to start uh, this morning. I wanna give time and space right now to uh, some of us last week uh, wrote these words on the board. And I just think it'd be good to take a minute or two to just call out things that we're feeling um, with no resolve, but just expressing our shared sentiment of pain, of confession, of repentance uh, and sorrow. So this could get awkward, but that's okay. So I would say the first thing that, uh, yeah, I've felt this week is that word rattled. Shout it out. What are the things that you're feeling? If you're oppressed right now, what are the words that? Angry. Keep going. Keep going. Right. Yeah. 
disillusion, rage. Jimmy, can you say some of these out loud for the live stream? Yeah. So Lord, hear our prayer. These are the things that we're feeling, sensing, and we know that you say yes alongside us. Confused, frustrated, rattled, angry, betrayed, disappointed, sadness, exhausted, frustration, disillusioned, torn, rage, and feeling let down. So Jesus and our expressions of pain we know that you're with us, that you're here with us, that you weep with us, and that you walk alongside us as we ask the question, why? Thanks, Jimmy, Carmen, and Quincy. And we bring all of this into a grounding in scripture for a few minutes. So important to bring this to Jesus, as we've been saying. In John 11, I want to read just uh, several verses from John chapter 11. Verse, well, begin reading at verse 21, just to capture a bit more of the, of the uh, story here. We're sort of dipping into to what occurred. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I, now, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, yeah, I, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and, tro and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. This account is only found in John. And John paints the picture throughout his writing, writings of some of the, the seven most critical 
experiences in the teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus to drive home an important point of the presence and the uniqueness of who Jesus is. And so this passage is so critically important. And we don't have time to, to really just unpack all the richness of what is going on in this uh, situation in this story of Jesus' life and ministry, we know that these three siblings were special friends to Jesus, deeply loved by Jesus, known to him, and, and they've spent time together. We know that. And that Lazarus had, they had sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick, and yet for some reason Jesus didn't get up and leave right away. And then he passed away and they'd come to Bethany where they were not far from Jerusalem. And we see Jesus encountering grieving sisters, siblings with their questions as we've just heard. But in this, I want to say before we share further from each other, others' reflections from this passage, that here we see Jesus coming into real life situation and taking time to experience their pain, to really encounter and engage with them as someone familiar with pain and suffering, and he wept. He waited, he embraced, and then he also lovingly pointed them to himself and said, but I am the resurrection and the life. In Jesus, we see both aspects of the reality of life, the weeping, and yet hopeful healing. That's what I'd like to share, just in a brief way, from John 11 before others share. I tried all week to read the whole chapter, and I couldn't read the whole chapter. <laughs> so I only got to the first few verses. Um, chapter 11... Um, verse 3, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And I couldn't get past that, that verse, um, that even, even if you have the love of Jesus, you can still get sick. Lord, the one you love is sick. And I just had to sit there for a minute to know that, yeah, even, even with Jesus, uh, it's difficult and it's hard and can be brutal. And I couldn't leave from that, that verse. And then finally, when I did, when, he, when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus makes a promise that the sickness is real, but it will not end in death. And then, and then, verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And then he stays there for two more days. <laughs> and I thought, why not just go? You need to go. And then realizing that, no, he, he stays and waits. So um, what I'm counting on is the promise that Jesus made, that this sickness will not end in death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, it's all of the nuanced, uh, uh, the depth of nuance underneath the text, I think. There's, there's a couple things to note, so Bible nerd time. Um, 
Jesus stays for four days because in Jewish consciousness, we were talking um, earlier this morning in Jewish consciousness, like the soul or the spirit uh, kind of, they thought lingered for three days. And Jesus is like, no, like I see my people suffering. I see, you know, the plight of the world and how, how you know, the wealthy are the wealthy, the people in power are, are the people in power, but everybody else is left just to suffer and die. And so Jesus, this is like a firework going off in the world at the time. Um, it, it's the signal of like God is doing something in and through your suffering. It's not just the alleviation of suffering through miraculous means, that certainly happens. But it's actually the snapshot of, of God being here in the flesh and inviting us to like step into suffering. Like this is the kingdom of God. It's not conquest, conquer, and the amassing of wealth and health and prosperity. It's actually the complete opposite. It's picking up our cross, our suffering, and doing it together, doing it together. And if you speed ahead to the end of the story, like Lazarus uh, is dead and then Jesus, he's been dead for four days. Jesus raises him uh, from the dead. Amazing story. And then my mind snaps back to one of the things my professor said long ago. He's like, that's an amazing story. Have any of you met Lazarus? No, he died again. He did die again. The point is not just the, the, the miraculous nature of the resurrection. It's the resurrection, the renewal of all things that begins in our heart, that begins in our heart, that God is actually bringing things together for good. And who, who is he using? What's the signal that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? It's actually that God enters into and endures suffering, doesn't speed through it. So I'm just captured by the yes again of God in suffering. And when, when we ask those questions, like what are we supposed to do? I think there's two uh, answers. I think it's care for each other, listen to each other, suffer well together, knowing that God experiences it physically and presently spiritually with you. Yeah, uh, the thing that stood out for me was the women and the unique differences in their response to Jesus and in their waiting. And they both came to Jesus and essentially like lamented, you failed us. But there's a unique difference and we know a bit about the characteristics of Mary and Martha from former stories and accounts of them engaging with Jesus. They both said, if you'd been here, he would still be alive. But then Martha goes on to say that she still knows the truth of Jesus. Like, I still believe in your power to heal even if you didn't do it this time. And then you have Mary who calls out in this just lament of grief saying essentially the same thing, if only you'd come on time, but then just dissolves into tears with nothing more to say, feeling hopeless. And they both needed Jesus, but they both needed something different from him in that moment. And he met both of them exactly with what they needed. To Martha, Jesus does provide an answer of hope that she doesn't fully understand, but it's how she engages with him is this firm foundation of the truth of who he is. And to Mary, she wept and so did he. Yeah. And I actually love verse 33, before we get to the, he wept, he was greatly moved and deeply troubled. I can only imagine in that moment of seeing Mary, likely just beside herself, his spirit is moved for her. In seeing her distress, his spirit was greatly moved and he was greatly troubled. No words here are needed. And each of us is going to experience this moment of hurt and grief differently. This moment of brokenness in our church, but really any moment of brokenness in your life. And however we are feeling, whatever we are experiencing, Jesus can meet you there. 
You may only have words of disappointment, anger, and accusation. Jesus will meet you there. You may have no words and only wailing and weeping. Jesus will meet you there. Jesus understands the depth of grief that we are feeling. In the waiting and disappointment, it doesn't mean that Jesus has left us on our own. And as we close today, um, the words that came to mind for me were, it's not supposed to be this way. I stood on this stage a few years ago during our Her Story series, which was entirely focused on Jesus, women in the church, and the treatment of women in the church. And I said those same words. That's not supposed to be this way. And I'm so grieved to be here saying them again, but I still believe that it's true. What we have learned about this week as a church and what our dear sister has endured and what so many of us in our church have endured through similar stories, I find myself crying out saying, it's not supposed to be this way. And so for our brothers and sisters today, and particularly our dear sister, as your church, we say we see you, we stand with you, and we grieve for you and alongside you. Jesus didn't come for this brokenness to exist. He came to save us from it. And in what now is perhaps our deepest moment of brokenness as a church, it is he who we look to to see what is deeply good and deeply true. And we've confessed much today on our chalkboard, and that will continue. This isn't a one and done. And in many ways, it feels like the way forward looks unknown, cloudy, uncertain, and it is. <laughs> but here's what we do know. Jesus is here. He meets us where we are and he knows what we need. And this is his church. Amen. It's his church. Amen. And so we must look to him. We must center on him. We must follow his lead and stand firmly on the promises that are fulfilled in him. And so as his church, as we close today, I invite us to collectively proclaim one more confession. It's the words of Jesus that we see in John 11, where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. We as the church can collectively confess that this is who we follow, the one who is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray together. Jesus, we actually have no words and yet you see each of us. You see where we're at. You see what we're experiencing, what wounds this rises up in us, what feelings this brings forward. And you know us and you meet each of us exactly where we are. And we as your church, in a posture of humility and repentance, confess with our mouths, humbly before you, that you are the resurrection and the life and it is you that we follow. Carry us through these days ahead, we pray in your name. Amen.